The Tablet Show, episode 85, with guest Rob Bazinet. Recorded live Thursday, May 9th, 2013. From thetabletshow.com, it's The Tablet Show. Conversations about developing software for tablets and other mobile devices with your hosts Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. In this episode, Carl and Richard talk to Rob Bazinet about building iOS applications. This episode of The Tablet Show is sponsored by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at telerik.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much. Welcome back to The Tablet Show. It's Carl and Richard, and uh, this is .NET Rocks tablet style, mobile <laughs> device style. You're crazy. What's up, Richard? Uh, you know, I'm fighting an exchange server today, but it's it's almost submitted to me now. Do you ever whack yourself in the head and say, ah, I could have had a cloud? Yeah. Well, I have those days. I Every so often, I menace it with a screwdriver and say, I'll move you into the cloud. <laughs> Don't make me come Don't over there. Don't me. <laughs> oh man, what can I tell you? I've uh, I've been playing around with the Gadgeteer framework. Oh yeah, the GHI uh, .NET Micro framework stuff. Well, more about that later. It's just so much fun. GHI Electronics, go there, check them out. It's just endless fun. We need to do another .NET Rocks on that. Yeah, we do. But let's talk a little mobile. Absolutely. Hey, it's time for Better Know Framework. Awesome. <laughs> What do you got? Well, uh, I went spelunking in the uh, WinRT API. And did you know that there's a, a service called Windows Portable Devices? Hmm, I did not know that. Yeah, Windows Portable Devices enables computers to communicate with attached media and storage devices. WPD provides a flexible, robust way for computers to communicate with music players, storage devices, mobile phones, cameras, and many other type of connected devices. This system supersedes both Windows Media Device Manager and Windows Image Acquisition. So I'm just reading from the manual here. Apps that are built on uh, WPD can explore a device, send and receive content, and even control the device. For example, take a picture or send a text message. Are you getting this? This is pretty cool. This system is designed to be flexible so many types of devices can be explored and extensible so that driver developers can define custom properties and commands for custom devices. So if you go to tinyurl.com slash Windows PD, because WPD was taken and Windows Portable Device is too long to type, you will see the on uh, dev.windows.com the docs for that. And there's links to the API and the automation object model. And uh, it's very cool. It, I didn't know about this. And I went to build. I just missed this. So there it is, Windows Portable Devices. Well, I'm thinking back to last week's show with Atlee when we were talking about the, the portable framework, or the portable libraries. This seems like an extension of that, uh, just in a different area. Yeah, well, kind of. I mean, the portable libraries are libraries that can run on different platforms themselves. Right. This is more about controlling the devices and, like, you know, getting pictures off of a camera. Right. You know, that you're connected to somehow, you know, the USB cable or something. And I like the fact that you can programmatically send a text message to your phone if your phone is connected somehow. Hmm. Because, you know, there's services like Twilio out there that right. will, you know, you have an API and a phone number and all that stuff. 
but it's a different phone number. You want to, if you want to send a text from your phone, you just connect your phone and send it. It's pretty cool. That's neat. Yeah. I like it. Good one. Nice find. All right. So who's talking to us, Richard? I grabbed a comment off of show 71, and that's the show we did with Stuart Lodge talking about MVVM Cross. Oh, man. I wonder how far he's gotten with that. He, uh, I've seen some tweeters going back and forth. You know, he's still working away on it. So good things are going on. But this comment actually comes from Matthew Kuda, who has commented on shows before, but I don't think he's ever gotten a tablet show mug, but he's going to get one now because he says, I really enjoyed the show. Our company is looking for as many cross-platform tools as possible for our mobile development. I work for a mid-sized business that has a Microsoft and more recently Microsoft.net only development staff. About a year ago, due to a lack of support from Microsoft and due to the explosion of Apple into the mobile space, I started developing a series of line of business apps for iOS with Objective-C. This, of course, led to the adoption of Monotouch in our organization since we are all .NET developers. Right now, Microsoft has pretty much lost the battle here, as the Apple software we developed has become more successful than any of us could have imagined. This leaves me feeling confused, but satisfied that I have learned a new platform, which is very popular at the moment. I've only just begun to look at Windows 8 on the surface. It is unlikely to be adopted here anytime soon. Come on, Microsoft. Bring it. Bring it. And that comment was from Matthew Cuda. I'm with you, Matthew. They're definitely coming from behind the ball. And uh, and I wanted to read your comment as we're talking about more iOS development because I also believe that the day of the homogeneous development environment is dead in a doornail, mm. that we are going to be developing on cross-platform all the time for the foreseeable future, and that's not a bad thing. Hmm. Yep. So a coveted tablet show mug is on its way to you, and I believe you already have a .NET Rocks mug. So when you get it, you better take a photo with both. <laughs> and if you'd like a tablet show mug, just write a comment on the website at thetabletshow.com. And with that, let me introduce our guest. Rob Bazinet's been involved in software development for over 25 years, starting out as a Microsoft Basic developer on CPM systems and later utilizing Visual Basic and eventually C Sharp, developing everything from enterprise desktop to web applications. Today, he runs the Still River Software Company in Woodstock, Connecticut, where they consult on projects built mainly using Ruby on Rails and mobile applications for iOS. Currently, they're exploring client projects on the Android platform. They're developing a web application named Simple Mailer, M-A-I-L-R, which is software as a service application, and they have their own products in the Apple App Store along with various client applications. Uh, you can read Rob's blog about entrepreneurship, bootstrapping, and technology at accidentaltechnologist.com. Welcome, Rob. Hey, welcome, guys. How's it going? Pretty good. So, uh, you actually have a history in the area where .NET Rocks is recorded here, right across, uh, well, I don't know, you weren't across the river. You were right down the street from the studio here for a while. I, I was across the river. Oh, you were in Groton? Yep, right in Groton. Okay. Wow. So, was it before they built the world headquarters here, Pfizer? Um, yeah, it was back in what 2007 or so. Yeah. And uh yeah, it was I'm not sure when that world headquarters was was done, but uh, mm. I know at the time I don't think much of it was done. Yeah. Maybe just the groundwork for it. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I used to do consulting work for for Pfizer. Yeah. So, uh and then you also used to work for a tool company, right? A development tool company, a .net tool company or was it a was it a VBX company? Uh, both. How's that? Yeah, um, okay. Yeah, we started out doing uh, VBX components. Um, it was modern software. Right. The product was TrialX. TrialX. Ba that's right. Back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. It was. You could write your app. You write your VB app, and 
drop in a component and you'd have a trial version 30 days or you know x number of activations something like that yeah now we don't have to worry about all that because we have all it built into the store it's all it's all exposed there with an api yeah that's right so i see that you're doing ios development and working on uh android what about windows phone or windows 8 started looking at that i haven't done a whole lot with it i've got a Lenovo Yoga that's uh, sitting here that that I've been playing around with some uh, some apps on, but uh, mm-hmm. don't have anything in the store yet. I've heard good things about the Yoga. It seems like Lenovo is the one between them, the Yoga and the Carbons. Like those are the best Win Eight machines mm-hmm. out there. Hmm. It's it's fast. It's a beautiful screen. Nice nice touch interface. It's kind of strange working on a on a laptop that has touch. You know, going from from Macs that don't. Um, to iPads that do, and then kind yeah. of combining those two into a interface you can touch. It's just kind of weird. Right. I, I didn't expect it's, – it's pretty smooth. I didn't expect it to be that smooth. Nice. So tell us about your iOS development. And uh, I guess you're talking to uh, some back-end code with Ruby from your iOS devices. Yeah, not, not all of them, but a lot of what we're doing is – um, these are iOS apps, um, both iPhone and iPad. Right. Um, well, one of the applications that, that we did was um, for hospice. And um, it's for doctors that go out and travel to different hospice sites, client sites. If you if you were sick at home and run a hospice care, you may have a doctor come and visit you. Right. And um, when they come, they, it may be a long drive. So... Front, you may not see the doctor for a couple of days because it's it's relatively um, uh, you know a long long time to get from sure. point A to point B. So we developed an application that that would these would sit on iPads and they would sit in a a patient's home wherever they're wherever they're located and they can get feedback to the doctor from this application. Basically, it's a it's a touch application where. A picture of a of a body comes up, an image of a body comes up, and the patient can describe where their pain is by touch points in the body. They can describe, um, you know, what kind of level of pain they have, mm-hmm. and then through a series of through a series of of questions, they can, you know, tell the doctor that they feel nauseous today, they feel tired today, they feel hot today, they're they have sweats today, whatever whatever the symptom is, they can they can put this on the iPad through, um, like I said, touch points and sliders. And right. that, that uh, data gets sent back automatically to the doctor's office, and they can decide whether they need to see that patient or not. Right. So, wow. And, the, and that's and the back end is is definitely it's a Ruby on Rails application, um, strictly API um, that that uh, allows us to you know work work online. Um, the application supports offline as well. Is this app in the public app store? Um, yeah, it is actually, I'll have to get you guys a link, but, um, it, it definitely is. It's, it's not intended to be there long-term, right? It's actually going to be put into the enterprise app store mm-hmm. so that, um, you know, it's a free app right now. It would be loaded on, on iPads by, by some IT personnel in a, in a doctor's, uh, office. Right. So they had, you know, they have got hundred patients, they've got a hundred iPads and they load it up and, and, you know, give it to these patients. Yeah, I mean, here is where we get into the challenge around Apple. They've clearly got the consumer model nailed, and there's iPads everywhere, but you have to put the app through the App Store. In this case, it seems like something you don't really want in the store. You want the doctor to decide who has access to the app and how. Yeah, that's that's true. But um, Apple has made 
pretty significant inroads into um, enterprise. So they had their enterprise app store. You sign up for it just like a developer account with, um, you know, as you do for the consumer app store. And you can just get your apps there. You basically do these ad hoc type builds and you can submit it to, to the store and um, it, you don't have to go through the regular channels to, to get these apps on there. So they're making, it's becoming better and better and easier for the developers. So this is a program that exists today. That there is an enterprise app store. Yes. And and what's different about the app store in terms of getting into it? Because I, I think getting into the regular app store is pretty trivial. Is there a higher bar to get into the enterprise store? Um, no, not not really. I mean, you have you have qualifications. I mean, you you're you have to describe what your app, you know, what's in, what's what's the intention. Um, it's so that you know you know you're not getting around these these pay these paywalls like on the on the consumer store. You know, uh, ninety nine one ninety nine free or whatever. Right. Um, you. You know, you have to have an app that is intended for enterprise use. So how they how they go through and and, uh, and and filter those out, I'm not quite sure, but it's a different process. Yeah, because in this case, we're talking about patients. There is, uh, they are still quote members of the public. Could it be their own iPad, or does it have to be one provided by the doctor? Well, um, I guess it could be their own iPad. In this case, it's it's ones provided by the doctor. You know, the the patient's hospice. So. Um, now they have a lot of lot of things going on anyway, so it's it's they just it's like a turnkey solution. It just bring it in. Here's your iPad, and and that's it. Um, I guess if they had one, they they could use their own, but I think in this case, um, it's just handed to the the patient, and that's it. Right. Okay. Is the enterprise app store available over the internet, or is it run on premise, and you have to be on premise to get access to it? No, it's 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 run over the internet. I'm not sure the exact. Um, access points but it's run it's run over the internet um you know you just basically um have ad hoc builds that get loaded up through some tooling that um, apple supplies okay and there must be some kind of identifier then to know what part of the enterprise app store to access so it's just your apps yeah it's just your apps it's okay just your apps yep that's cool so i mean still apple's still running the store for you it's just now it's your own private store right and, you know you don't have those those 30 percent you know, fees, they, they do it a little bit different. And I'm not sure exact how Apple makes money at this because we don't handle the apps, that part of the app store. For the, we, we just, you know, submit stuff to the app store for, you know, for the customer. So I'm not sure the actual, how they, how they pay for it, but as a fee and then, and then, you know, the, some fee structure on top of that. Yeah. I'm just, lo- I am looking at the, the program on the Apple site and it's 300 bucks a year. So yeah. I guess that's how they're making money. Yeah. So did you find putting in the, in the uh, consumer store is, kind of a pain or is there anything you had to work around or any extra security concerns you had to come up with or address? Well, in, in general, it's, it's, it, it, it's easier now than it was. Um, when it, when it really first started, there was not a lot of direction. Apple, um, gives a lot of guidance on their site as far as documentation goes, but, um, the process, you kind of have to figure it out yourself. So there's been, there's been a lot of things documented from, blogs and screencasts and things like that on how to how to do it um but the process in general um is easier they they use a lot of uh you know certificates that you have to generate keys for and you have to um you know have one for your device and have you know because you you do ad hoc bills out to your device as you're as you're developing and then you need to um you know generate one for your app and you need to have a distribution license it's another key so you, you need to have all these in line, and as you build your app and just, and and send it to Apple, these these things get checked, and um, mm. 
are verified. So, so yeah, there is, there's quite a few different hoops you have to jump through to, to get it to the app store. So yeah, it is, it's getting better. They're making the tools better. Xcode, you know, does a lot of the stuff better for us now. The um, earlier versions made the things a little difficult, but it's definitely getting easier. And now that you're starting to explore Android development, because you, you know, would you talk about cross-platform or are you going to start writing in Java as well? <laughs> um, I, I guess, I guess it's, it's probably going to be uh, Java. You know, the, the iOS development that we do is, is, is strictly Objective-C. We're not doing, we're not using any of the um, Xamarin tools or anything like that. Right. Um, so I guess it's, we're going to be doing, we're going to be doing Java development on on these android devices i'm i'm assuming that um my c sharp background is going to going to help with that enough to to make it uh a little bit doable yes yeah, you know the, you, and you speak truth there right that java and c sharp are just not that far apart they're closer <laughs> together than the c++ it's in objective c right yeah yeah they are so so yeah so i'm hoping that'll that will definitely uh help us out moving forward so now, how different is the iPad, the, the iPad development of that, like that uh, medical app, compared to iPhone development? Well, the, in, in this case, the medical app itself um, runs only on the iPad because of the, because the iOS screen is is too small, right. really, to have something that's that's usable. And and we, you know they wouldn't really be handing out, you know, they wouldn't be distributing iPhones to to these customers. So this is strictly iPad, and I think it's. It's the right size for the for the application, but going going from iPad to iPhone or or vice versa. I mean, there's there's definitely challenges. It's not just from a technical standpoint, but you know, also from a design standpoint. If you take if you take an application and just um, if it's made for an, for an iPhone, let's say, mm -hmm. and you take that application and just let it run on the iPad, um, you know, it gets stretched out. The it doesn't look right. Um, it's it it looks like it was designed for the um, iPhone and and just ported to the iPad. So there's a lot of lot of things. You know, buttons are big, um, screen screens big, things like that. So there's there's definite challenges. Like I said, from a design standpoint, where you have to really um, you know make make good use of the of the screen resolution, the, you know, the, the design surface on the, on the iPhone. And then when going to the iPad, you've got all that more real estate. So your, your app can, can, you know, be more, that can, can do more, can be more, um, UX friendly, right. Can have a better user interface as opposed to this little, little screen. I mean, you guys both use smartphones, right. And yep. you, you get yeah. an app on there. Sometimes it's hard to read and the buttons are small. Um, when you go to an iPad or, or, you know, an Android tablet, something like that. And I'm sure, um, Surface is probably the the same. Um, the the apps that are really designed for those iPads or those tablet devices, they have a look like they're designed for those, right? Better layout, yeah. um, or I shouldn't say better layout, but I should say they're laid out in a different way. They have, um, you know, people have thought through those design decisions. So there, there's there's plenty of there's plenty of things that go along in the in the design side and on development side. I mean, it's it's pretty similar. Um, you know, you have to be a aware of the device you're on is you know as apple um has more and more devices uh going you know from from the 4 to 4s and with the retina display and without retina display and things like that um on iphone and ipad you have to be aware of all of those so it's not just one one set of code to to solve all the all the, all the issues it's 
multiple code and, and you know you can imagine the code is multiple checks on the device you're on and the resolution you're on and you know if you're on a like an iPod right where it doesn't have it doesn't have phone capabilities those kinds mm-hmm. of checks you know there's a whole bunch of different devices so, so yeah there's a, there's a quite a few different uh, things to be aware of and you're actually able to constrain your app so that it, it will not run on the phone it'll only run on the tablet yes yeah okay. you can do that and you can do that actually you can actually put that constraint in in a in a configuration file for the for the um, project where you can actually create the project to be an iPad only project right um, where it, yeah it won't you won't you won't run on the on the iPhone um, and there's there's other things you can do as well where you can constrain it to the particular iPad like the iPad um, one which didn't have a camera so you could you could def- you could actually in your code um, in these configuration files say that it's you know it needs a, it needs a camera so in that case it wouldn't even install on an iPad one right. That, that's cool. I mean, and it's just basically a manifest so that it, kn- it knows where it's going on to and what it requires. It's exactly that. It's a, it's a manifest file. This portion of the tablet show is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls, to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework, to free agile management tools and content management systems, all of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting the tablet show. I'm just still thinking about this medical app because I think it's very interesting to say, now, what if this was done as, on a desktop machine with a mouse and a keyboard? Because you could still do that visualization of your body and moving sliders around. You'd just be doing it with a mouse rather than your finger. That's true. But as soon as you were talking about it from the context of a tablet, I was thinking, here's a little old lady in her bed, propped up, you know, with that tablet, being able to just touch where she feels and how she feels. And it's sort of a guided experience. Right. To this is the state that I'm in, but I think you'd want to use that camera. Even how how does she look, or even get you know do that FaceTime thing with with the doctor right then and there. That is a future version of the app. Nice. Yeah, they wow. want they want to be able to do that. So, um, but right now it's just it's just strictly uh, strictly touch, and I think one of the reasons because it's an iPad app, um, you know, where we do have a little old lady or whatever that's you know has cancer or something and she's not very mobile you know she's not very good i mean she could have arthritis in the hands it makes it makes it pretty easy just to easily touch these these different um points on the screen yeah i would also think about limited mobility cases like there's lots of things here but i think the biggest thing to me is the idea of reporting how you feel every day possibly at the same time every day just so that you have all that data and it would be it's the technology that would make that feasible to just have that routine contact. Yep. Uh, really, really interesting implementation. And, and I'm, in, I'm being agnostic about the platform here. I'm talking about 
the form factor, just that with a tablet, this makes more sense. It's a better way to go. Yep. Yeah, it, that seems to be the case that the, the tablet form factor has opened up a, a variety of um, possibilities that just weren't there before. Yeah, and I think that um, in this case, it's an iPad app, but yeah, it could be anything. It could be, it could be running on a, on a Surface device or Android or whatever. It would, it would work equally well. Yeah, it's it's the form factor and just a, but in my mind, it's like, wow, could you get more personal computer than that? that right. That's exactly right. Yep. Yeah. It's so insanely personal. This is a almost a lifeline piece or a, a, this connectivity piece to what's going on out, out in the world and how you can communicate to them. It's really interesting to just think through the those sorts of scenarios. Right. So we're taking a look at the, uh, it's called Palliative Symptoms Survey app and uh just the screenshots from the app and it looks it's so touch oriented it's you know like there's figures of the human body and touch points where where does it hurt yep very easy to use a lot of sliders you know when it's basically a clinical app right where they're you know telling you their symptoms and rating their pain on a in you know different symptoms on a scale of one to ten with a slider it's really cool um, so this saves this saves doctors traveling out to client sites that they don't need to. What's interesting is that there's only three text fields in this whole thing. Everything else is driven by, you know, either sliders or touch. Very cool. Yeah, and the text fields that are there, they may be filled in by the doctor, by the doctor's office. Yeah. So the, the client may never have to even touch anything other than... Right. Fill, fill in the survey by day. And reality is, you know, when you click that thing and the keyboard comes up, it's not difficult to type your name. No, true. Or a PIN number or something. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's not that's not a deal breaker. Looks beautiful. Thank you. It gets yeah, it gets more challenging when you start talking about how okay, how precise is this person's hand? Are they able to operate a slider? Are they able to touch the appropriate yeah. points? I don't know how much you can do about that. Yeah, uh, that's true. And and. It, it actually is, it's set up to have the survey filled out by a care provider. So if there was a nurse there or or a family member or something like that, they could they could help the patient out and and kind of kind of help them fill in these things if they were not able to. Yeah, yeah, sure, that makes sense. It's just it's somebody who's present. Yes, uh, just so the doctor doesn't have to make all those trips. You know, it's like Facebook. You maintain a larger range of content. Now a doctor could actually have contact with. 30, 40, 50 patients in a day without constantly running from office to office or making them all come to him. That's right. Yep. Even it's just, it's just a light contact, but at least it's contact. Yeah. And it just, it just saves, you know, saves the trip for the doctor in the event that he doesn't really, or he or she doesn't really need to go. Did you do any sort of classic, um, agile story development, um, for the, for the UI or did you just, figure you know this is how it should be i mean how did you how did you come up with a design for the ui well we actually worked with a designer on this and um it was done through through mockups we use a mock-up tool and and go through these different uh screens and and uh and iterate over that so yeah it was it was it was a bit of a um agile agile type practice on this but did you start with user stories? You know, like what is the, from a, you know, the doctor telling you what they need and, you know, the kinds of things that they want to put in yes. and yeah. Yes. Yes. We use a tool. Um, I'm sure you guys know it. Pitable Tracker. Yeah. Allows us to go through and create stories and 
we share those with the designer and the designer comes back with with mock-ups for for screens and screen transitions very cool so did you have any um pushback on any of the ui points well i mean this this we went over this many many times um you know we had different you know for example the 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 point where somebody touches their body for pain you know that that image itself that target look um changed many times we had different things we, we indicated we want to make sure we indicated um you know different points here we could actually hit the you know, the same body part many times in, in the you know to describe that it's heavy pain or, or light pain or whatever um so yeah we we iterated over this a lot so we, we there was pushback we went back and forth with, with the customer and the designer and and this was a was quite a process and no specialized hardware here either, because I've seen like medical specific tablets and things, but I guess that's mostly about, you know, about sterilization than anything else. Yeah, yeah, it could be, and and it could be, you know, some of the, some of the special tablets, um, you know, probably have input um, to some other sensors or something, and we're not we're not doing any of that. There's no there's no sensor integration here, so um, this is just strictly input from the cust- you know, input from the patient. So what does the doctor see? Is he just seeing the same screen as the uh, the patient when all this information comes in? Yeah, I mean the data gets collected back in a in a back end uh, web service, and there's, there's reports that actually come out. Um, the patient um, data comes back as a series of numbers, and and we, we're graphing it in the back end. So the the doctor is going to see graphs, um, not necessarily um, these same these same things. The graphs, you know. Um, relate to the body points and particularly it's the, the ones that are, are really critical are those sliders right and those represent data points so when they start to see you know eights nines and tens then um then it's 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 pretty critical yeah well and also saying you know if you're doing this every day then you look for trends or you look for sudden changes that would sort of indicate something unusual is happening yes exactly yep it is a composite set of data so back end is ruby on rails it is Ruby on Rails. Yep, it's a, it's it's an API with with some reporting capabilities. Um, pretty simple API and and some security in there. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, just pretty simple. It's running in the cloud. Yeah, it runs in the cloud. It's it actually runs on Heroku. Oh, cool. Yep. And I, I've always wondered about this because there's so many different ways to build a backend. In the end, are you, are you using what's the actual transport you're using? Is it JSON or or you know what do you what do you do? Yeah, this is strictly JSON data. Okay. I mean, I think. Pretty much any of the the Ruby on Rails um, applications we build, and and you know even some of the 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 .NET MVC stuff that uses um, Web API is, is strictly JSON. So we're using strictly JSON data back and forth. Right. Just just package that, and it's it's clean and it's it's light and uh, just makes everything really fast. Have you experimented with other backends? Does it matter at all? Um, what what do you mean, like Ruby on Rails versus? Like Web API versus something else. Yeah, versus Web API would be the logical comparison, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, um, it, it doesn't really matter all that much. I think the the only thing that that I've seen is is development time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can I can bring up a an API in the back end using Ruby on Rails, you know, extremely fast. You know, um, it, everything's getting better with 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 .NET these days. You know, with um, you know doing code first and things like that definitely definitely helps. Um, but the tooling for for Ruby on Rails just makes it so so easy to uh, to spin these things up. You know, just creating a model and your controllers in the back end there, and you know, we use the same 
kind of code for the security in the back end for the API. So it, it can come up really fast. So comparing them, I think, I don't think it really matters as long as you're comfortable with the tooling. Um, yeah. I think, I think somebody that is really super familiar with, with, you know, entity framework and web API can probably do something really fast as well. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's more really about the skills you got. What Absolutely. are you using for security? Is it just HTTPS? Yeah. I mean, it, it, well, yeah, it varies. I mean, some, some are HTTPS. Um, some were, we're just using, um, you know, secure keys back and forth. Some use simple auth where you're, you're passing using a password back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it depends. I mean, you know, some of the, it, it depends on how many times we're going to call the API. We do want to authenticate on every call we authenticate and then, you know, pass a key back and forth. If there's, if it's pretty, uh, like transaction intensive or if it's pretty, you know, if we're going to be hitting the API often. Right. Once we, once we authenticate, then we just, we have that object that we authenticate with and we just, you know, basically make calls with that, that object. And it's not like you're transactionally intensive, right? A given package from a given user is just not that big based on the description you give me so far. In, in, in this application, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and in theory, it's quote medical data. So I guess you want to be fairly sensitive on how careful you are. Yeah, absolutely. Does that, did that present itself with any? particular challenge of uh paperwork or anything that you had to do to make a medical app well insurance (laughs) yeah um well you know we have to we have to be careful and we're not in this case we're not storing anything that could be tied back to a single user so the the data looks anonymous for the most part The, the data um you know going back and forth um the accounts created and it's, you know, it's synced to the back end and, you know, you're just an idea at that point. So right. the, the data is not, you know, we're not, you know, keeping things, any kind of things like social security numbers or things like that. Um, and even the, even the names don't really get associated with the clients for, you know, that anybody could, could see other than the doctor. So, so there is, there is that, there is some, some issues there, um, you know, HIPAA compliance. And making sure that uh, you know we're we're secure in our data center, which we're you know we're on Heroku, um, storing as little information as possible about these these people. So yeah, we have to be really careful about that. But it's worth it, isn't it? <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not only for you, but you know, for the patients and the doctors. Yeah, it's a good thing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. It sort of yeah opens the door to some other uh, some a uh, whole other thought around care now because you could get into i i like the idea of all medical things related to someone in palliative care going through this ipad like making sure they're taking their drugs at the right time you know, the, the app would know this is when you're supposed to be taking those medicines and then you indicate that you have just so you have that record yep good good quick feedback um without without having the the doctor or nurse to be you know right there yeah and even if the doctor or nurse is doing it like it, it I'll, can't remember the name of the, the the clipboard, the sort of patient's chart. Like when when is the iPad just going to be the patient's chart? Yeah, I wanted that too. I bet you know. I think more and more now, as you go to uh, to see your doctor, I think more and more things are going electronic like that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's not just the convenience of being able to communicate all that information. It's, I just think about the the data mining elements. If you really got the record of you know. A particular person dying of cancer in a palliative care place, and you see that profile of data over their last three or four months, compare that with other people with a similar ailment. Like you could learn a lot about what the process looks like and what different drugs are going to do. That's true. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of data here, and and you definitely could uh, could do something with that data. That's that's what I like to see. You know, ultimately, 
Yeah. Can we extend life or can we make their last days even more comfortable because we know what the profile is of how this particular element progresses? True. Yeah, that's true. Very interesting stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> Didn't plan on being in the medical app business there, Rob? How did this happen to you? <laughs> um, well, it uh, it was a friend of a friend that uh, actually has a, was doing some Ruby on Rails development and they needed an app with some back-end Ruby on Rails. They were too busy to do the work and they they came to me and and uh you know asked me to to give this guy a hand so so we did um you know i've been in the ruby on rails community for for quite a while so um and do you know do writing on info queue so mm-hmm. i was found i was found that through that avenue so attending you know rails comp type conferences uh meeting those kind of people and so that's where they found me awesome you want to talk a little bit about some other projects that you're doing? Because it's clear this is not the only one. It's a very cool one, but it's yeah. not the only one. Sure. Um, I probably can't talk about a lot, but um, I don't want to talk about it like in a, in a salesy kind of way. So, um, What's your favorite? My favorite project that we've done? Yeah. That, wh- let's say your favorite app to use of your own. Um, I have an app called Palette Pro. I use that quite a bit. Yeah, I'm looking at the Palette Pro right now and going, I know what this is for. Mm. <laughs> how do I grab that color? Like, they, yes. and yeah, I have daughters who are serious about color and they're very, <laughs> getting the color right is a big deal. Yep. Yep. So that's, that's one I use a lot. So tell me exactly what it does. Well, if it, it's, it's an, it's a utility that, that I developed for, you know, working on client websites mainly. Mm-hmm. And what it does, it's, it uses the camera from the iPhone. And it allows you to go out, like, let's say you you have a client and you want to match their logo color and you want to mm-hmm. use it maybe in the background of a web page. Mm-hmm. So you, you go take this this app. It has a little crosshair on. If you go to the if you go to the website, you can you can see what I'm talking about. Okay. Um, and I go to uh, paletteproapp.com and uh, it allows you to take in and try to match colors, you know, off of an object, whether like I said, a logo. If you go to the website, you'll see flowers, I think. And uh, it it gives you the colors in in hex format and and the other the other CMYK colors and colors you can take and, and match. You can actually take them down if you wanted to try to match it. You know, even on a at a paint store. So, is there ever a problem with matching the color? Because the last time I checked, the iPhone didn't have a really good camera in it. Yeah, it's it's not a hundred percent accurate because of the camera and. Mm-hmm. Because of other things, you know, if you're into photography, you know, the lighting is is pretty important. Right. Um, so if you have, you know, if you take this app and you go and try to scan a color, you can actually see it. Because what happens as you scan it, it's it's done in real time. Mm-hmm. So as you move the camera around, as you move the phone around, and, and that camera point, that crosshair in the middle, it'll those colors will change constantly. So you can at least get an idea of what range you're in for yeah. R, G, and B. Yeah. Yep. So... So what happens, you know, if, if it's too dark or too light, you know, if it's if it's shiny, like if I go in, in my house here, we have cathedral ceilings and the lights are on and I take this and put it against our wall, the mm. color never matches. Right. It's just that the light is, is just too bright. There's, a, there's a, a shine or a reflection, right? Right. And so that affects it. So, yeah, so it's, you know, it's as good as what the camera can do. That's pretty so, cool, though. It, thanks. It, yeah, it allows you to match colors. I use it for website matching and... And uh, just just trying to come up with a with a nice color for something. Yeah, and it's really convenient, right? For at least a close enough shot. I guess if you carried around a, a sunlight spectrum lamp with you, so you <laughs> could control the lighting. Be the only if you're going to be that yep. anal, right? And yep. I know with my daughters, they'd be that anal. Uh, 
and there's <laughs> there's um there's actually hardware devices out there that do this you know that a professional would use um you know maybe an interior decorator would go and use and they would they would match a color for somebody like pretty close yeah um so but those are you know three three hundred dollars i think for for a, a low-end one and this is 99 cents this is this is 2.99 okay still less than a latte yeah so rob what's next for you what are you working on next um well i mean there's is all different stuff i mean there's there's apps we're, we're building internally there's apps for clients working on a on an application now for photographers uh, for uploading photos to allow a photographer to easily um, sell their stuff online mm-hmm. um, you're a photographer you can take a bunch of photos and upload them and and uh, you can actually give this the, the app is used by um, end users they can like your photo they can order prints and things like that so it's kind of like a Instagram with a cart <laughs> I guess yeah yep okay it's cool very cool well Rob thanks for spending this time with us it's been great Hey, thanks for, uh, thanks for having me, guys. I, I really appreciate it. I wish you continued success, sir. Thank and you. we'll see you next time on The Tablet Show. It's not too much.